Well, if you're waiting for me to sing, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Good morning. And uh, went to the kitchen to see what was going on and saw a picture that's almost ingrained in my mind. My mother was on the floor in the fetal position, crying hysterically. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. I can't handle this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Of course, I saw her and I said, what was wrong? I knew something was wrong. She's such a strong woman. Why was she on the floor in the fetal position crying? She pointed to all the envelopes that were on the floor in the kitchen. Too many to count. Covered way too much of the kitchen floor. And she said to me, David, those envelopes represent a bill that we have to pay. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I could possibly do it. She was a single parent mother. She would say things like, I'm supposed to be the man and the woman in the house. I'm supposed to be the nurturer and I'm supposed to be the supplier. I'm trying to raise these two boys. We live in the hood. I'm trying to send them to, to a private school so the culture doesn't get them. I don't know how to do it. I can't do it. She cried and cried. I didn't know the Lord. We didn't know the Lord. Sure, we grew up in a religious tradition, but it didn't help us in those times. I didn't have that beautiful Christianese that we have as believers where we can say, well, the Lord's going to provide. I didn't have that. I didn't know what to do. I was 12 years old. I was just a boy. I didn't, I didn't even know how to embrace her and hug her and say it's going to be okay. I didn't, I didn't know how to say I love you and I, I appreciate all the hard work you're doing. I didn't know how to do that. All I knew was that painful feeling, the all-too-common painful feeling, being too poor to get ahead. Have you ever felt that way? Like, like you just can't get ahead. Like maybe there's some force out there stopping you from getting. I, I can see it, but I can't get there. Something is limiting me from getting ahead. Too poor to get ahead. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, that feeling... It's not only limited to poor people. But rich people can feel that way too. Rich people can have almost the same problem. Let me show you what I mean. I was doing a search on the internet and came across dailyfinance.com. Uh, had a little article that was written, 10 star athletes who excel at losing millions. First one on the list was Lawrence Taylor. Uh, LT, Hall of Fame linebacker for the New York Jets. Giants. <laughs> I'm up here, you're down there. <laughs> 
Hall of Fame linebacker for the New York Giants uh, in his career made $50 million. Doesn't sound like a lot today because of what ballplayers make today, but that was a lot of money back then. Of course, he went bankrupt. Lenny Dykstra, impressive career as a baseball player, played for the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies. I know because I would collect his baseball card. I remember his Don Russ rated rookie card. I might still have it somewhere. I was so proud. It was worth $1.50 back then. Uh, once published his own magazine called The Players Club, documenting how to live life large like an athlete. Of course, he ended up owing creditors $30 million. Uh, his $18.5 million home that he bought from Wayne Gretzky was foreclosed on, but not before he would sell every piece of artwork and every piece of furniture in that house. Of course, that was against the court's orders. So he's now in jail for that, and not only that, but the other fraud that he was taking place in. This is my favorite, though, Latrell Sprewell. You remember him? Uh, Golden State Warriors. Latrell Sprewell. Made $96 million in his career. In 2005, he famously turned down a three-year contract offer from the New York Knicks. It was worth $21 million, a year, or $21 million over three years, so $7 million a year. And when they asked him, why did you turn that down, you know what he said? I got a family to feed. <laughs> Latrell, you made $96 million, and now you need more than $21 million to feed your family. Ended up never playing the game again. Of course, he would later lose two homes to foreclosure, have his yacht repossessed, and be sued for $200 million. Probably most impressive, though, would be Mike Tyson. After his uh, boxing career, he had earned $400 million. Almost half a billion dollars. Of course, he would go bankrupt in... 2003, reportedly owning no more than the tattoo that is on his face. <laughs> so, whether rich or poor, the feeling of not being able to get ahead can be all too familiar. Too poor to get ahead. You ever felt that way? Just can't get ahead. No matter how much money I earn, I can't get ahead. On paper, it looks good, but I can't get ahead. It's almost like there's a force stopping me from moving forward. Why can't I get ahead? And maybe you've been bold enough to ask this question. God, why won't you let me get ahead? That's the question we'll be asking this morning. Why won't God let me get ahead? Why won't you allow me to get ahead, God? You're supposed to be sovereign. That means in control of everything. If you're truly in control of everything, why can't I get ahead? Why won't you let me get ahead? To find the answer to this question, we're going to look at the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. Haggai chapter 1. It's a small little book in the Minor Prophets, only two chapters long. 
If you have a hard time finding, I'd encourage you to go to the first page of your Bible. It has a little index. It'll tell you exactly what page to go. I can never find it, so I go there. Haggai chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me just say this. It's amazing how God has you know, made us pastors, preachers, you know, us people, how he's gifted us in certain ways, how he miraculously helps us out sometimes. And we know, I mean, we just instinctively know that when we do a series like Mission Possible or 40 Days of Generous Life or we're doing a campaign, um, we just have this, it's almost intuitive inside of us. We know that when we do this and we do a series on it, that people aren't going to like it. We just know that. It's miraculous. It's amazing. <laughs> like God tells us they're not going to like it. <laughs> we know that this, sometimes these sermons aren't amenable sermons. You know. But this is Valley Bible Church. Valley Bible Church. It's not Valley Baptist Church. It's not Valley Fellowship Church. It's not Valley Community Church. And those may be all great churches, but at some point in our history, our leaders came together and said, we got to figure out a name for this thing. We're going to start this church 40 years ago. I'm sure you were in the meeting, Dave. And that's, what's the name of this thing, ministry going to be called? Well, I know. That wasn't a bad thing. I love you. It was endearing is what I was trying to do. The people over there are the bad people. <laughs> And somewhere they said, you know what, we need to name this thing. What do, what, do we, what do we want to name it? And I can just imagine being in that meeting room. We need to name it something that right from the very beginning, right in the title, when people come into this building, that they won't be blindsided by everything because they see it in the title. They know exactly what we're all about. And they named this Valley Bible Church. And I think what they were trying to do is say, we're going to be about this thing. We're going to hold this thing above everything else. We're going we're gonna, to, when this stuff, when this Bible says something, this book says something that we like and encourages us, we're going to be, yes, it's the Word of God. And when, when it says something that challenges us and it's hard to read and hard to hear and I don't want to hear it, we don't care. We're going to hold it up anyway. So when it says things we like, we're going to believe it. When it says stuff that challenges us, we're going to believe it. And we won't shy away from anything that's in it. That's who we are. That's what this church is about. Sometimes we feel proud about that, you know. I go to church, they preach the Bible. And then when they start talking giving, oh, man. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this passage. And there's going to be some things in there that maybe you'd look at and go, ooh, is that really in there? Okay, isn't that a part of the Apocrypha? Uh, you got it. <laughs> uh, I really wish that was in there. Oh, man, that one hurts. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read something. And, and, and if I say something that sounds challenging, I might say after I read that verse, is it in his word? And if, if you are reading it along with me and you see it there, that it really is, in fact, in his word, you could say amen. All right? And so I'll read it around and I'll say, is it in his word? You could say amen if you see it there, okay? Can you do that? Yeah? All right. I was watching, because um, I... 
I'm going to force the amens on the sermon is what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I was watching uh, Whitney Houston's funeral. I don't know if you got to see that. I got to see that online. And uh, just a beautiful, beautiful um, uh, ceremony and memorial. And the, the preacher got up and he said something like, you got to understand something. And I'm used to, you know, uh, when I preach, uh, amens come, you know. And if people don't say amen, then, then they must not understand. So I better say it again. <laughs> and so he said, we can keep on doing that and be here all day. Or you guys can say amen. <laughs> now, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I'm not quite there, but... Amen. <laughs> 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 enough said, enough said. Haggai chapter 1, let's look at verse 2. Haggai chapter 1, look at verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says... These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. The time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Is it in his word? Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house, while this house, the house of God, remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. Is it in his word? You eat, and you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Is it in his word? You know what he says? He says, think about it for a second. Just think about it. They're in a situation where the temple of God is in ruin. It needs to be rebuilt. And the people are saying, it's not time to do it. It's not time to build. Maybe the economy's low. Maybe, maybe they don't have resources. Man, surely God wouldn't expect us right now while we have no resources to rebuild right now. He wouldn't want to do that. It's not time. You know, that's the same line they used to justify segregation. It's not time. The time isn't now. No, the time is always now to do what's right. It's just an excuse. We have this consultant. Um, I think you guys know him. You've seen him here every once in a while. His name is Robert Richardson. And he helps us with these campaigns that we put on and whatever and, and try to raise money. And he's been doing it for a lot, a long, long time. I think he's done over 300 campaigns in different churches. And uh, he was telling us a story this week, and he was saying how there was a man who, um, in a different campaign, wasn't it Valley, um, who committed a million dollars. Lord blesses me, I'll give a million dollars to the church. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know, the guy wins the lottery. I mean, he really wins the lottery. I mean, that's crazy. He wins the lottery. Christians shouldn't play the lottery. But the point is... <laughs> <laughs> The point is he wins the lottery, and the church is like, sweet, we're going to get that million, right? <laughs> and the guy, like, never steps foot back in that church. <laughs> and he never gives the million dollars. And I'm sitting there as I'm listening to the story, and I'm thinking, Robert, how does this encourage us? <laughs> and he said this. He said this. He goes, the takeaway truth is this. It's easy to commit money you don't have. It's a lot harder to commit money you do have. 
We come up with every excuse, bad economy. And he says, think about it. Give careful thoughts to your ways. Set your heart on your ways. Think about it. It's not time to, to do anything for God, but it sure is time to live in paneled homes. It sure is time to have luxury for yourself, isn't it? See, ironically, they didn't have money for God, but they had enough money for their own luxuries. They, they didn't have any money to prioritize God, but they did have money to prioritize their own comforts. <laughs> what would be the modern-day equivalent of that? It's when we upgrade our kitchens with granite countertops. And of course, <laughs> now we can't afford to give to God. I wish I could afford while the Family Life Center is dripping with several, several leaks right now as we speak throughout the building, needing a roof that will cost us $100,000. Is there anybody in here who write a check for $100,000? It's a need. It's a real need. It's when we purchase a new vehicle. I mean, top of the line, guys. I mean, the thing warms up your butt. You know what I mean? It, it, it has air conditioning on both sides of the car, you know. I like it this temperature. My wife likes it this temperature, right? You know, the kind of car that you go, hey, Kit, come over here. And it, you know, it comes. <laughs> that kind of car. Of course, and instead forsaking uh, any obligation to the Lord's work. While inflation squeezes every last dollar the church has on utilities and medical plan increases. It's when we commit 15 years of our income to purchase a timeshare in Mexico. Of course, that eliminates any hope that we'd ever have some kind of regular sort of commitment to the Lord. While the church regularly commits its resources to paying off interest instead of funding ministries to promote the gospel. Now, I'm not saying buying things is bad in and of itself. No, don't get me wrong. I just bought a car, a 2008 uh, Toyota. The, the idea is when, you, when we put things and misprioritize them, and now because I bought this, I can no longer do this. Because I put all my resources in this, and whatever this is, I can now not fund the Lord's work. I can now not give to him. I can now not show my appreciation and love for him through giving. I can't worship him in that way because I'm financially committed to all these other things. It's a misprioritization. They've forgotten how the Lord has been good to them. They forgot uh, their commitment to him. Instead of building God's kingdom, they were too distracted in their own efforts building their own kingdom. They had convinced themselves that the current economy dictated they couldn't, God couldn't want us to give right now, all the while sparing no expense on their own comfort. How about us? How about us? And then he asks them a question. He says, what has this brought about for you anyway? Look at verse 6. You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat and you never have enough. You drink and you never have your fill. You put on clothes that are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
What does that mean? <laughs> Can you imagine taking a $100 bill, putting it in your wallet, put it in your pocket, the next week opening up your wallet and finding 50 bucks? Can you imagine that? You had a $100 bill in there, and now you have a $50 bill? That's what he's saying. Now, maybe not the bills aren't going to change on you. But I, you eat and you never get your food fill. Uh, uh, you're never full. Food no longer satisfies your needs. Could it be that he alters the metabolism or the nutritional value of food? He does something to where it's not going to satisfy anymore. Drinking but never getting your fill. You clothe yourself but you can't get warm. The necessities of life are no longer being met. You earn money, but you put in a purse with holes in it. Do you know who ultimately is in charge of the inflation and deflation of money in your life? It's not Ben Bernanke. It's God. God can compromise your earning efforts. And make money seem like it just disappeared. God, I just can't get ahead. I just don't feel like I can get ahead. It's almost like there's this force stopping me. I mean, I can see it, but I can't get there. It's like something is opposing my every effort. I'm too poor to get ahead. Why, God? Why won't you let me get ahead? <laughs> it's interesting. This idea is so important to God that he reiterates it. He says it again. It's almost as if he's saying, oh, you don't believe me, so I'll prove it to you. There's two, two movements in this section, of, this section of Scripture. The first one is think about it. The second one is think about it again. Think about it. And, and think about it again. Think about it again. Go to verse 7. This is what the Lord says. Give careful, careful thought to your ways. There it is again. Give careful thought to your ways. Set your heart on your ways. Give careful attention to what you're doing. Verse 8. Go up to the mountains and bring down timber and build a house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And by the way, you do remember what happened when you didn't do that. Verse 9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. Is it in his word? What you brought home, I blew away. Is it in his word? Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin. While each of you is busy with his own house, it is in his word. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. Is it in his word? I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and on the, the new wine and the oil and whatever ground produces on men and on cattle and on the labor of your hands. Is it in this word? Amen. Think about it again. Reappraise your priorities. Consider the neglect of your spiritual responsibilities. Renew your concern for the things of God financially. Rebuild his temple. This, <coughs> this will be pleasing to God. Go, bring down, build. They're all imperatives. And just in case you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. Remember, you, you, you expected a lot out of this harvest. 
but it was smaller than expected. Interesting, um, just the way the Lord had it this week, I ran into a farmer. And since I know nothing about farming, I was like, tell me how this works. And this guy actually, like, planted grain. Like, this is perfect. Thank you, God, right? And so he's telling me, he says, you do realize you can put as many seeds as you want out there, and you don't know what's going to happen. I go, what? what you, you mean oh, shoot, you can you know, put the seeds out there, and then you, you have these, you know, plants that grow up. And, and a plant of the same size, you know, this one grew this tall, this one grew this tall. And they grow grain. Now, you don't know how, much gra- how many kernels of grain will be in each plant. That same size plant can have three kernels over here, and this plant has 50 kernels of grain over here. So you, you seed, and, 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 and you pray that God brings rain, and then it grows up. And even, no matter how tall they get, how many kernels of grain are on each plant? Well, who's in charge of the, of the harvest? Who's in charge of how many kernels of grain are on each plant? You were expecting much, but you received little. The harvest was much smaller than expected. In fact, it blows away. I blow it away. Now, this could just mean that God causes it to vanish, or it could mean something else. The way they would separate the chaff from the grain is they'd take a fork and they'd they, they pick up the stuff and throw it in the air, and the wind would blow. And the idea was that the chaff would blow away from the grain, the grain would fall, and the chaff would go away. There's a way to, 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 to separate them. Could be that he's saying, hey, when you throw up in the air, you do realize I can blow it away. <laughs> it can blow away with the chaff. The dew is withheld. They're in the midst of the divinely ordered drought. The crops are withheld. The, hurt, the earth holds them back, is the idea. There's a drought on the land, on the fields, and on the mountains. Drought on the crops, grain, wine, and oil. Drought on, there's a drought on ground production. This is a drought on men. This is a drought on livestock. You know what he's saying? You do remember Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. I promised you if you forgot me, I'd bring a curse on the ground. This shouldn't be surprising to you. I told you this is what I'd do. I'm God. You're not going to pull one over on me. Guys, God can and will withhold his blessing. God, I, I just don't feel like I can get ahead. It almost feels like there's a force stopping me from getting ahead. I mean, I can see it, but I can't get over I can't get there. It's like someone or something is opposing my every effort. God, why can't I get ahead? You know what the answer is to that? One of the reasons you may not be able to get ahead is because you haven't prioritized him financially. You haven't brought him your first fruits. It's easiest for to say, yeah, God owns everything I have. I just don't give him anything. Why won't you let me get ahead, God? Because I haven't made you my first priority. You know, it's interesting. You can well imagine when, when we announce the series we're going through, we hear little rumbles back, you know, People aren't happy with this. 
All we do is talk about money. You know, it's not true, but that's all we do. That's all this church does is talk about money. I already give. Leave me alone. Heard that one. I think to myself, that was really interesting. And what if we, let's just, what if let's just apply that principle to somewhere else. Okay, let's just leave that one aside. We'll apply it over here. Let's do prayer. All we do is ever talk about prayer. Goodness gracious, I can't stand when they talk about prayer. Prayer again? I already pray, leave me alone. Wow, it seems like that prayer has really impacted your heart. How about Bible reading? All they ever do is talk about the Bible. Are you kidding me? The Bible again? I read my Bible, leave me alone. Ah, maybe you'll come across something in the Word that changes your heart. You know, how about, how about fornication? Let's get real. Let's get real. I mean, you know, I'm the young adults pastor, right? Let's say a couple comes to me. Let's just make up a couple. They come to me, and, and, and they, they want some counsel on their dating relationship. And in this counseling session, it comes up that they're sleeping together. Not better yet, they're living with each other. What should I do in that situation? Should I tell them it's wrong? What if I told them, you know what, at least you guys are monogamous. I mean, come on, you're not sleeping around with everybody. I mean, you're living with each other. It's like you're already committed and married. I mean, God sees your heart. You're committed there. Oh, yeah, not only, I I think it's fine with God. Not only that, I'll marry you. Oh, yeah, I'll stand with you on your marriage today. Let's say you heard that I gave that counsel to a couple. What would you say to me? You're fired. Thank you. (laughs) You know what you would say to me? Let me tell you what you would say to me. David, you're a young pastor. They just made you an elder. Your job is to guard the truth. Your your job is to guard the flock, protect them. You tell them the word. It's profitable in season, out of season. Young Timothy, preach the word, rebuke, teach, do all these things. David, you need to do this. David, you need to do this. You've got to understand one day you're going to stand before God and he's going to evaluate you based on that counseling session. He's going to evaluate you based on what you told them. Uphold his word. Don't compromise the truth. That's what you would tell me. Now tell me, why does that change when it comes to money? Why does it change? You guys, if you're going through that, that 40 days of, of generous giving, holy cow. I mean, there's so many verses about giving in the Bible. There's so much to do about money. I just went read through the book of Luke in my devotions. It's all, it's all over every chapter of the book of Luke. Jesus is challenging on money, money, money. Where is your money? What are you doing with your money? It's almost as if God is, is really concerned over what we do with money. It's almost as if like, it's a dividing line between the people who say they love Jesus and the people who actually do love Jesus. It's almost as if it's so important to God. Because he knows it reveals the heart of what you really love. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He also says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And you cannot serve both God and money. Could it be that the reason that you get all bent out of shape when the topic of money comes up, could it be that the reason you get all bent out of shape is because your heart is not in the right place? 
course, there's always the question of, what about people who faithfully give to the Lord, and yet they still feel like they can't get ahead? We think that in our minds. We wouldn't say it out loud. But what about people who faithfully give to the Lord, and, and yet they still can't seem to get ahead? I guess the challenge for you would be, can you still trust him? I mean, I guess, I guess God could be placing you in a trial right now where he's trying to prove your character. James chapter 1 says it. He brings, he'll, he'll allow trials in our lives to, to prove our character. And I guess after that trial's over, he could bless you. And maybe you would see the benefit after, oh, that's what he was doing. That's happened to me. I've been there. Or, or even if he doesn't get you back on earth. Is it okay if he gets you back in heaven? I was thinking this week as I preparing this and what a horrible week to have a visitor on. <laughs> the visitors come in and they say to themselves, this guy is nuts. I mean, he's got to be out of his mind. There's a screw loose up there or something. He, he's actually telling them that they need to give on a committed level. I can't even commit to coming every week and he's saying commit on a regular level. I mean, I'm coming here. This guy, I bet you he's one of those people who believes in giving a tenth, too. I bet you he believes 10% should go to the, yeah, I do. <laughs> in fact, I think it's the bottom. I think it's, it's, the, it's the base of what we should give. And we should go up from there as God blesses us. <laughs> this guy's nuts. <sighs> we are crazy. We're, we're crazy in love with Jesus Christ. And if you're visiting us and, and, you, and you say he must be crazy, you know what? I understand where you're coming from, and I don't blame you for feeling that way. But I would just say this. We're crazy in love with Jesus Christ because God would send his son to earth to die on the cross, a criminal's death, for us. That, and, and, and the Bible says that we were enemies of God. We, we, had, we didn't want anything to do with God. And yet God would still send his son, being God very God and man very man, to die a death on the cross. And essentially saying, I, I will provide victory over death for everyone who God draws to believe. And, and he wouldn't stay there. On the third day, he would rise again. And if you believe in my son, you can have eternal life, is what, what the Bible says. And so... This is a strange thing here because you come in and you think I'm crazy and I, am, I understand why you would think I'm crazy and I totally get that. But there may be a day where he starts drawing you and, and you might come into this new understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you and how you owe him everything and how you love him and there may be a day where you yourself will do the craziest thing that I'm talking about. And if you do find yourself doing that one day because you became a believer, you'll find yourself giving not because you feel guilty or not out of compulsion, but out of love, out of gratitude. You know, church, I don't know if you know, but um, it's a little printout in your bulletin this week. You guys have been excelling. Um, this is the first week of this year that... that um, we are out of the red for this year and into the black. Um, and as we have sit and have meetings together, you know, 
our minds travel and we start thinking things, crazy things like, what if the last two weeks, what if we just took the average of what was given the last two weeks, and what if that became the norm? And you know what we found out? If the average of the last, if everybody just committed what they did the last two weeks, I mean, don't, don't, no more. Just, I'm going to commit whatever I give the last two weeks and give it on a regular basis. If that was the case, we could pay off the building in six years. Six years. And then all the money that's been going to interest can go to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about it. Think about it again. Too poor to get ahead. Let's pray. Father, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for, for this emphasis in our church. I lead a small group of college students, and I'm thankful for how their eyes are lighting up as they consider new ways to be committed to you and to trust you. So I'm in a married group a couple weeks ago, and family I know with uh, one income household, two children, probably would like a couple more children. We're praying with each other and encouraging each other with what God has put on our hearts. This young man says, I, my wife and I have decided we're going to give 11% this year. <laughs> Certainly, God, you, that's not what you want. I mean, this is a young family. Sure, sure, they should wait till they're married or till they're, till they're retired and have a ton of extra superfluous money. But oh, I remember how you've been faithful to me. Boy from Richmond going to a Christian college. My mom earned $14,000 and the school cost $18,000 a year. What in the world was I doing in school? But I got to learn your word. And oh, how you provided me to go to seminary. And oh, how right now I'm trying to go to school again and how I haven't had to put a dollar into because you've been faithful. I remember being 18 years old and earning $400 a month and putting a $40 check in the big church, 3,000 people, and walking out of church thinking to myself, I don't even pay for the toilet paper in this place. That little bit of commitment then, I believe, is what has brought me now to continue that. Father, I pray for our church. I pray for the people who are thinking to themselves, there's no way I can do this. There's no way. I can't even pay the bills as they try to reprioritize their lives and they consider giving to you on a committed level, oh, that you'd bless them. Oh, that you'd bless them. I want your word to be proved true in their lives. I want to hear more testimonies about how, how you're moving and how you make money come out of nowhere when we're faithful to obey your word. I want to hear that. I pray you do it. We want to take the next three months. We want to see you do it. Give us those stories. We can jump up and down. See, it's true. Word is true. 